And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable. The most honorable. The most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he Welcome to Anything is Potable! The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam Jam Packard, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from The Athletic, Jay King. Ladies and gentlemen, and we are coming to you live on a Friday morning, the morning after a thrilling overtime game rematch of the finals between the Boston Celtics and Golden State Warriors. The Celtics managed to pull this one out. In overtime, winning, I am blanking on the final score right now, 121 to 118, in which, Jay, this was a pretty ugly basketball game in terms of just shot making and uh, what the Celtics have done on offense this entire year. I'm looking at their shot profile right now. So many missed shots in the paint. So many missed threes for the Celtics. And... It's just rather remarkable uh, how the hell they came back and managed to put themselves uh, in this game. Just an absolutely wild two mi- last two minutes of the game and overtime. Um, I would describe it as an ugly win. Uh, Joe Mazzulla refuses to, to say there's any bad wins or anything like that. But what was your biggest takeaway from just a kind of banana lands game, uh, game against the Warriors? It was kind of a baffling win. Like, I'm still not really sure how the Celtics won that game. The Because uh, their, their mistakes, it wasn't like they made all their mistakes early and then played, like, perfect basketball down the stretch. Oh, no. Oh, no. They uh, Tatum had three turnovers in the last three and a half minutes, including, like, and everyone was just bad. It was just bad turnovers. Al Horford had two huge blocks, and then each time Tatum just gave the ball right back. Uh, once Jordan Poole just picked it off and went in for a dunk. The other time, Tatum got stripped from behind, and Andrew Wiggins ended up with a wide-open corner three, and the Celtics were really lucky that he missed it. Um, but they just kept kind of plugging away, played a lot of defense. They they limited Steph Curry and Klay Thompson throughout the fourth quarter and overtime, like just really, really did a good job on the defensive end. And then... Al Horford was just really good, and and Jalen Brown hit a three to bail him out at the reg- end of regulation. They they made a lot of winning plays, but they also just yeah, made a lot they, of stupid uh, stupid plays. They also made a lot of losing plays. Like they would just follow up winning play, losing play. Marcus Smart tried to throw the ball away. I'm not sure Jalen Brown actually saved that ball uh, at the end of the game, but yeah, like. I think they really did win this game on their defense. They held the Warriors to 17 points in the fourth quarter, which is just incredibly impressive. The yeah, Warriors they were just are- seven for 22 shooting in the fourth, and I think two for six in overtime. So, yeah, and they're just like a constant, constant struggle on defense. Just the plays that are so impressive is when Clay, I mean, when Steph drives, relocates, and just hits these dagger threes. He did that a couple of times. Uh, against the Celtics and then even in just with how much attention you have to uh, give to Curry just like two-man games with uh, with Draymond and Clay and just uh, Jordan Poole like they have so much movement on their offense that I thought the Celtics did an incredibly impressive job um, on the defensive end of just slowing down the Warriors with that being said like still I'm still just confused about that final two minutes like they're down four Steph kind of goes for that FU three. He misses, and it's like an easy uh, leak out for Tatum. Uh, and then there's just kind of like wild Al block, uh, and then that Jalen Brown three, which after they've not been making any threes 
uh, for you know most of that fourth quarter. They missed so many open threes. Uh, it felt like down the stretch that it was just a grid. I guess I guess you describe it as gritty, but like for as many winning plays as they make, I'm going to say it again. They made that many losing plays. It just happened that they it kind of worked out for them in the end. And and it didn't start like right at the end. The the whole fourth quarter, they just kind of had a lot of plays. It just kind of left you scratching your head. There was one play when Tatum got Kavon Looney on him, and Looney is like obviously a big dude, and went in the post and tried to fade away and like just missed the rim by like three feet. Uh, Jalen, he just let the ball slip away. <laughs> <laughs> with like eight minutes left, like just didn't catch it. What didn't didn't seem too focused on catching it. Uh, Tatum like stole. He intercepted a pass, made a great play to do that, and then just traveled on Stephen Curry in transition. Like it was just, it's just kind of a some really bad mistakes. Like like they, I I do think it, it's. It's probably overreacting to say they they have demons against the Warriors, but it feels like they have demons against the Warriors. The way Tatum played, the the way their decision making just kind of disappears sometimes against Golden State. Uh, Golden State, obviously, they're like an average defense this year, but they can really ramp it up, and they play with a lot of physicality, and they have Draymond Green and Kevon Looney and Andrew Wiggins. Uh, a lot of guys that that really make an impact um, at the rim. But that's, that's the craziest thing about the Warriors. I think you have to give the Warriors a lot of credit. And I would be, I think, incredibly frustrated if I was a Warriors fan because they should not be what twenty two and twenty three right now, just given how much talent they have yeah. on on that team. Um, but like their defense, especially around the rim, I don't know if it's like uh, some sort of curse or it's just the the Warriors have extreme talent in Looney and Draymond especially. But like these, the Celtics just turn into entirely different basketball players when getting into the paint and approaching the rim against the Warriors. And I think the Warriors have incredibly great good hands. They're very good at going straight up, but. The Celtics smoked so many bunnies and then also just like had a real tough time of getting good looks against the uh, against the Warriors. I think they were like playing, trying to get some contact and didn't get as many foul calls as they wanted. But the Warriors are just so incredibly tough at the rim. And I think they do a really good job of funneling you to the rim because the Celtics didn't like are normally launching threes. And that's just not uh, they did not take nearly as many threes in this game as they kind of normally do. Uh, and so I just think the Warriors defense deserves a lot of credit one for showing up on the road, which apparently they have not done, uh, all year, but there's just something special about what the Warriors do in terms of their rim protection. That just makes it like, I don't know if the, if, if it's a boogeyman in Celtics heads, but they're just feel like a completely different basketball team, um, in the paint and in the restricted area when they're playing the Warriors. Yeah. And that's something that Warriors do. They have, uh, they are allowing the fewest amount of shots at the rim by far. Like they're head and shoulders above everybody else in that category. And so that's part of what they do. Um, and to, to score against them, you have to really play through contact. You have to be physical. You have to know like Draymond Green is going to be contesting you at the rim. And and it's just like a constant battle against them. And that's when they're locked in. They, they just reach another level. Um, and obviously, they see the Celtics and get locked in and play with a level of physicality they, they haven't mustered all the time this season. It was a fun game. Uh, it was a really fun game to watch, but also like just a bizarrely bad, badly played game at times. The <laughs> Even the end of overtime, like what were they doing? How, they almost gave away that game at the end of overtime they, after going up eight points and having some really good possessions to do so. Then it was like like they became a, a high school team, like a, just throwing the ball all over the gymnasium. I'm pretty sure Marcus Smart – like threw the ball out of bounds. I don't think Jalen Brown actually saved that ball. Um, it was just 
really like being up seven or being up eight with that much time left. There's just, just like should be no reason for the Warriors to get back in that game. But it was pretty wild. I think we have to give a lot of credit to Jalen Brown, especially for his play in that overtime. I just talked about how much the Celtics struggled in the paint and getting good shots off. Um, but Jalen really came up with some huge buckets in OT after pretty much struggling the whole game and not really being a presence offensively. It's his first game back from injury, but I thought in overtime, he just kind of bullied his way into the paint and made some pretty tough floaters or just like push shots. Um, and that was like a, a huge uh, kind of momentum swing for the Celtics because Jason Tatum at that point had played the entire second half. I think he looked exhausted. He had some of the just terrible turnovers where he just kind of threw the ball to no one. They needed some sort of scoring punch there. And I thought Jalen Brown coming in and and just knocking down those shots, uh, just those two shots in the paint was huge for the Celtics just for them to get out uh, and get some points in the overtime. It was kind of hilarious Tatum played the entire I think it was the last 41 minutes that he played, which is kind of wild, wild for a regular season game. It was it was yeah. easily the most minutes he's played this season, as as 48 minutes would probably be for most guys. Um, and it's it was just funny because they try to downplay the importance a little bit of seeing the Warriors, and then you just see the. They were just lying straight to our faces. Um, Al Horford's out there doing the too little celebration. Like, Al Horford doesn't do shit like that. <laughs> Every once in a while, he'll like flex or something, normally in a playoff game. But he, he was out there doing the too little celebration. And I do think the way he started the game, Horford, was really important. Um, Celtics started their big last season starting lineup for the first time all season because of injuries and whatnot and the Warriors went small it was like really weird contrast and Horford just took Wiggins to the post and Horford we haven't seen a post up hardly ever this season and for him to be capable of doing that against Wiggins who's not a small guy like that's a big big sturdy wing defender um so so that was that was big. That was important for the Celtics, like to just have that level of physicality from the start. But but it was clear it wasn't another game, though. I mean, Tatum played 40, 41 straight minutes. He had a really weird game because he made a lot of bad decisions. Obviously, didn't shoot the ball well. Uh, seven turnovers. Like continues to have his struggles scoring against the Warriors efficiently. Um, but the rebounds, man, like 19 rebounds yeah. are huge. <laughs> he, had a, he had a bad game and also finished with 34 and 19, like is, is, which is just absolutely insane. Yeah. And uh, like 19 rebounds is just big. And I, I thought while we're on the topic of rebounds, like Robert Williams, the way he dominated the offensive glass was so important for them. And that's one way that they're going to need to play when teams switch. And and Robert Williams just absolutely punished the Warriors on the offensive glass. I think I've brought up this stat on the podcast before, but when he's when he's in the lineup, they just bash teams on the offensive glass. And when he's out of the lineup, they don't offensive rebound at all. Like the difference is totally crazy. He absolutely changes everything about the way they are on the offensive glass simply by being on the court and jumping around and and chasing down the ball. And and that's a big deal, I think, for their offense. And that's partly why they were able to overcome shooting just 39.8%. Like, there were a lot of times when when they they were having droughts, they were having trouble scoring the ball, and, and Robert Williams was out there giving them extra opportunities. And, uh, like, that was the f- first time they won while shooting less than 42% all season. They were 0-5 before that. So... Winning ugly and doing it against the Warriors, I guess as as many baffling decisions as they made, um, it it could be a good sign that that at least they don't need to have that crisp offensive night anymore. Their their defense can carry them. Their offensive rebounding with Robert Williams is just different. They're starting to create 
turnovers again, um, which is a a big deal. They didn't force any turnovers at all at the beginning of the season. So in a lot of ways, they're improving around the margins to help them win those games. Yeah, Celtics finished with 18 offensive rebounds, 22 second-chance points. Uh, Definitely a huge advantage for them. They did start the kind of the traditional starting lineup, the two-big lineup. Um, And personally, I did not think it looked great on the offensive end. Like, the spacing just uh, looked pretty difficult. And they definitely – Joe Mazzulla went away from that in the second half where – uh, it kind of staggered Rob Williams and Al Horford and played Malcolm Brogdon a lot more. What did you think of that kind of the two big lineup? And like, it definitely helped with that physicality and that uh, I guess on the boards early. But I think just for a while there, especially in the uh, first quarter and some points of the third quarter, it just it really felt like it slowed down the offense and kind of screwed up the spacing for them. Yeah. Um... But, I mean, defensively, that's just such a good lineup. Like, it's so hard to score on those guys when they have those five players on the court. Uh, And the offense, like, it's not going to be the same. It's definitely not going to be the same as, as it is when Al Horford is in and they're playing five out or when just Robert Williams is in. Um, and they have all, all ball handlers and creators around him. But, yeah, it wasn't the best night from that group. Um, well, there's, th- there's just think- some some possessions where, like, with that group, the possession is just Rob Williams in the corner, and that feels like a wasted possession. If you're going to have the two bigs in, it feels like you either need to be playing with some pick and roll with Rob at the top of the um, – like as the screener or playing like dribble handoff games with Rob or getting Rob involved in the action because any possession with it's just Robert Williams in the corner feels like a kind of a win for the defense. And I think, I think you're right that the, the, their defensive capability of that lineup is important. And so they're going to need to figure out how to play with that lineup. But I thought it was interesting that like you play those two bigs, then we see a stretch of Luke Cornett um, and Luke Cornett. Like I think, did a decent job, but they they certainly were attacking him there uh, when he was in the game, and so I just thought it was an interesting dynamic that that like they kind of started with that lineup, and then as soon as they got to the kind of the second half and and overtime, we saw a lot more Malcolm Brogdon, um, which felt like a just the more uh, effective lineup for them uh, in the second half, just because they needed they needed that spacing, um, and especially against like kind of the the, the switching that the Warriors did. Uh, it's not like they're going to throw a bunch of post-ups to their two bigs. And so it felt like they just needed to um, get some smaller guys out there and, and create a little bit more space for, for drives and things like that. Yeah. And uh, it felt like the Warriors really were going to make Horford and Robert Williams be the ones to do stuff. Um, did, did Robert Williams get told before the game that he's allowed to shoot? Like, I feel like this was the most aggressive we've seen Robert Williams on offense in a while. And I say that only because I think he actually took a jump shot from about six feet. And I'm just not used to seeing him do that. Yeah, he hasn't. I feel like last year he took a few, like the the occasional 12-footer or so. Um, we haven't really seen him try that this year. I thought there were some good moments um, where they found Rob, where they found Al inside. Uh, but again, like the Warriors just take away so much at the rim and, and even with a much bigger lineup than the Warriors, the Celtics weren't really able to get to what they wanted to inside. Um, and that, I, I think that's probably the, the disappointing part, the most disappointing part about Tatum's nine for 27 performance. And he was able to get to the line, which was a big deal and, and being able to, to rebound, to get to the line, to get some points like that, just kind of manufacture stuff. That That's a big deal. Um, but the Warriors have guys that he should be able to overpower. And they went small, and they had Jordan Poole on the court, and they had Curry. And I know Curry's a, a much better defender than probably most people realize. 
But the Celtics' inability to to get Tatum matched up on one of those guys in space is is evident when they play the Warriors. Um, and it's just the Warriors, they make it really hard to get to what you want. And it, it's really impressive watching them play. They play with a lot of physicality on the perimeter. Uh, even Jordan Poole, I thought, like was just really fighting, making sure that the Celtics weren't being able to set clean screens. Like they just made all that stuff hard. And uh, so you, you really appreciate the Warriors defense when you see them up close and locked in. Like they make every single thing you do difficult. And the Celtics had to fight through a lot. They had to fight through their own terrible mistakes. <laughs> they had to fight through a huge first half from Clay Thompson. The, the end of the first half, it just started to feel like a finals game all over again, didn't it? It was like Celtics really controlled the first half, like most of the first half, and then Clay goes bonkers, and then Tatum has a chance to to push to extend a two point lead to either four or five after they get a steal with like five seconds left, and instead, instead Steph comes up with a steal, and then you knew it was in the, the second he got the ball, you knew it was going in. And I think Robert Williams, his reaction spoke so much to how good Steph is, how ridiculous he is, um, and how incredible he is at shots from anywhere because Steph Curry was behind half court with like a second left and Robert Williams was panicked, like just (laughs) racing 100 miles an hour to try to get back to Steph Curry. If you watch that play over again, just watch Robert Williams because he knows. He knows he he can't let Steph shoot that shot, and it went in, and it just felt like a finals game the way the Celtics were executing, the way the Warriors um, were doing impressive stuff. Steph went over and had a celebration that irked you, Packard. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean – Act like you've been there before, Steph. You've hit plenty of 46-footers in your career to be fair, at the buzzer. <laughs> to be fair, I feel like he was acting like he'd been there before. And he was letting the Celtics crowd know yeah. <laughs> that he had to been be, there before. And to be that fair, he had been there that before is ex- <laughs> in that building just tearing their hearts out. That is a very good point. In fact, that is exactly how he acted. He acted like, I'm pretty sure that people are alleging that he mouthed like, this is my town. I, I did not care for the uh the the run around the gym for a buzzer beater uh at the half. Um I wasn't mad. Don't put it in the newspaper that I was mad, but you it was just like absolutely fuming. I was uh a little bit uh a little bit ticked off by that. It's funnier in retrospect now, uh, because the Celtics won. Um but yeah, Steph is absolutely insane and just trying to like follow him around the entire game just seems exhausting. There were so many buckets where it's just like other guys on the Warriors got shots just because the Celtics had to pay so much attention to him. Um, there's just one thing I want to bring up before we get to the the listener callers right now and just talking about the Celtics attack and trying to get Tatum um, to operate in space. It just feels like with the switching and the physicality of the Warriors defense that you mentioned, it's pretty difficult to get Tatum just like isolated on a guy at space it. But I do think the Celtics did a pretty good job of trying to get Tatum touches um, where he can attack and where he could be dangerous. I thought there's like a lot of kind of Marcus Smart, Jason Tatum, two man game where they got the switch and got Tatum the ball um, in the paint, not necessarily operating in space, but in, in situations where Tatum could use his physicality to just draw contact um, uh and get to the free throw line and, and just get uh, in an advantageous position. I just think continue to think that um, Tatum, whether whether or not the defense is switching or whether or not they uh, play kind of more of a traditional pick and roll defense, Tatum setting that initial screen and then getting him to the ball as he's moving towards the basket continues to be just a consistent source of um, uh, offense for the Celtics. And I just like, it feels like the go-to thing where it's like, we don't know, uh, exactly what to do here, but you put the ball in Marcus and Tatum's hands in that situation, and they'll generally make the right read and figure out a way to get in an advantageous position. 
Yeah, and uh, I've that was there was one play. I think it was Horford's three in the overtime um, when they did just that. It was the the Horford three was like they added another wrinkle in there. They brought in a, a Jalen Brown like double screen as well. That was a brilliantly drawn up play. Yeah, so Brown sets this the back screen gets gets them switched Thompson onto Tatum and then Brown uses his physicality to kind of shield Wiggins off and cut to the paint and then they draw Draymond and get Horford a three that that was the best play probably the Celtics made the entire night like from a standpoint of how are they defending us how are how do we need to read this, react to it, uh, and work together to do it? That was just that was thinking the game, and that was getting something that you wanted against a great Warriors defense. Um, and Horford hit the big three. That was that's the stuff you want them to do. That that they need to do all the time. Um, but it was that was a, a really, really nice play. Uh before we get to the the listeners, Jay, can you hear me? I got a bunch of people in chat saying um having very difficult to hear. I don't know why. I've been using the exact same setup I use for every I can podcast. hear you loud and clear. Okay. I'm gonna blame uh the people in chat for not having ears, but uh you know what? I'm not gonna blame the people in chat. Probably a bad idea to blame your audience. I'm not sure what's going on. I apologize if folks can't hear me out there. I got some folks saying they can't hear me. Uh, but hopefully we'll uh, have that figured out. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com slash courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Right now, let's go to Grant G. Come on down to The Price is Right. Grant G, how are you doing? Thank you guys for having me on. It's uh, been a minute, uh, but what an incredibly great eyesore of a game to watch. Uh, but that's kind of how you expect these Warriors Celtics games to 
play out. Uh, glad to see the Celtics finally win <laughs> that matchup because it's been kind of frustrating the last four games uh, for them against the Warriors. But betting-wise, though, what a weird game. I had the lock of the century last night. Warriors team total under 117.5. Warriors average 115 on the road. Oh, Celtics man. give up oh, 112 man. at home. I'm not That's sure if Scott Van Pelt <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure if Scott Van Pelt had it on his bad beats of the night, but the foul on Wiggins with 37 seconds left. He goes one of two from the line, or one of two of three from the line. And then the smart turnover to DiVincenzo with, and hits that three with 30 seconds left. It was crushing. It was the worst <laughs> dagger of the night, and Steph hit a full-court shot. Like, And in that, they also lost the six-and-a-half-point cover. It was, I mean, all hope was lost kind of at the, in the fourth quarter anyways, but then <laughs> them getting back to covering was a huge turnaround. It was just, I, uh. yeah, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's, That's when you, when you bet the under and then see overtime, it's disgusting. I, and it was, it was and then the just the way the overtime went, just. Yeah. Just devastating, honestly. They couldn't hit a thing, and it was like, okay, like I, this might happen. It, the worst, the worst loss is whenever you have uh, false hope. And, and I'm not sure Horford even touched Andrew Wiggins either. <laughs> it was his thumb. Like I, I like if Horford had like a centimeter small of a thumb, it would have been not a foul. I know that was a horrible replay, and just be like, you have to be kidding me. I, was I, lo- I love the bad beat call, night. and uh, we're <laughs> we're here to help for anybody who Thank just you. wants yeah, to I vent needed, about their bad beats. Yeah, I needed this to vent, and I'm just glad that like you guys are here for it because it was, oh man, but a great game. Glad to see the Celtics finally win. That <laughs> what, what a call! He ju- he just wanted to share his heartbreak. That's all. He just wanted That's- a place, a sounding board. Where where people could could say they're sorry. That's all. We're, we're here for arm, the people. A shoulder we're to lean here on. To, we're here to listen. You know, one seventeen and a half, and to have a one eighteen, and to have that Wiggins three pointer, three point foul, and the Divincenzo three. That's tough. And so, um, yeah. If you have any bad beats like that, feel free to jump on stage. If you just have, you know, some sadness in your life, uh, Jay and I are happy to listen. You know, we're here for the people. Um, you know what, but, uh, I think I have the perfect antidote for, you know, a sad, a sad moment, a bad beat like that. I think it's time to inject this podcast with a little optimism, a little positivity, a little energy, folks. That's right. We're going to Joshua B. Come on down, Joshua B. How are you feeling after a big win, big win against the Warriors? All right. That was an awesome win. That was everything you're supposed to be looking at. First off, I'm, I'm going to start with my junk, and then I'm going to lead into uh, some extra. With eight, with um, roughly four minutes in the third quarter left, and the, and the Celtics down nine, um, Joe Mazzulla decided to call a timeout, and I thought to myself, um, what would the advice of Sam Packard and Jay King be to do in a moment like this with the Celtics down nine? Um, and I thought, you know what? Go Kaizen. Go work out. Go, go get yourself in, in some shape. And so I, so I did 10 um, burpee jacks, which is a jumping jack and a burpee, and then I did 10 push-ups, and then I did 10 supermans, and then I did 10 sit-ups, and the commercial break happened. And that went down to eight. And then Steve Kirk called the timeout. So I said, well, I might as well not um, stop now. Let's go do it again. And that happened another eight times. And sure as fucking enough, the Celtics <laughs> won the game. Every single time, every timeout, the Celtics had cut the lead just a little bit more. And every time out, every time out I worked out. And, yeah, so I'm, I get to take a little bit of a victory lap on this. I'll tell you another thing I get to take a little, little bit of a victory lap on. I get to take a little bit of a victory lap on the fact that we have the best record in the league. Now, how do I mean that? Do I mean it by overall? Do I mean it at home? Do I mean it on the road? I mean it all of the above. We have a four-game cushion. A four-game cushion. In the Eastern Conference, as we sit here talking right now, the Brooklyn Nets are without Kevin Durant. 
um, Chris Middleton is here, he's there, he's everywhere, and the defending championship, Golden State Warriors, the defending champions, just lost a game that they were trying. And if you don't believe that they were trying, go check the minutes. Go check the rotations. One team played nine, nine people, the other team played eight. And the team that played eight, the team with the tight rotation, was the Golden State Warriors. They wanted that game. Now, to be fair, Tatum played there. like 100 minutes. Sure. And to be fair, Steph Curry played 43. But the point isn't that. The point is that, all, that both teams were looking at this game to win. It was an electric atmosphere. And all you Celtics fans, I want to talk to like the down people in, in our group, the people who are set. Here's a newsflash. Both teams want to win, so both teams are going to play hard. And when you have two teams that are talented, and let's just, for instance, say the two teams that were last in the NBA Finals, just expect it to not look beautiful. It's never going to look beautiful. Even when Steph Curry drains a half-court shot, like you're never going to see the Golden State Warriors not try against the Celtics. They both wanted the win. So, yeah, I'm sorry that it wasn't a 35-point win, but this was by far the Celtics' best win of the season. And Traymond Green, I have a message for you. Last year in game one, afterwards, you said, well, listen, if the Celtics are going to drain their threes, then there's nothing we can do. And, you know, you just got to tip their hat to them. But we don't think they're going to drain their threes, and we think we can beat them when they don't. I'm here to remind you that last night we sucked from three, but we could have whatever we wanted in the post. We should have hit that spam button over and over and over again. Ever since the moment Al Horford told Andrew Wiggins that he was too small, did the too small gesture on him in the first quarter, we could have we could have dominated them, and we did dominate them. We dominated them in the paint in rebounds, sixty to thirty, I think that was the number, and we dominated them in points in the paint at fifty-two. I think that you're a little wrong, Jay King. I think that we got everywhere that we wanted to. We overcame the Dementors. We cast our Patronum, and your article, by the way, last night was fan. It was. Thank you, sir. Um, like this is this is the best win that the Celtics had. When we find when we go and we meet the Warriors in the finals, if we meet the if we meet the number nine seeded Warriors in the NBA Finals again, they're going to remember this, and so are we. We are better than the Warriors. We were better than them last night, and we will be better than them going forward. Thanks for giving me the time to speak. This is an awesome win. Pump it up, guys. <laughs> Josh, Josh is fired up today. Normally, normally I like hang up on callers. Josh signed off himself, which I appreciate. Josh um, just came in and dropped the mic and then left. I, that was it. I do like the image of him just like frantically working out uh for every single timeout in that game. Joshua B's gonna be pumped and jacked uh if he continues to do that. Um yeah, Kaizen, he got incrementally better. The Celtics did uh, do just get uh, slowly trim that lead until they put themselves in a position to win um, at the end of the game. They did go away from, I guess, getting the things in the paint. I would be, I don't know if I necessarily completely agree with Joshua B's assessment that like the Celtics could get anything they wanted in the post. They're just not a post-up team. Uh and like when they went, they decidedly went smaller with Malcolm Brogdon. And I just don't think you're going to see a lot of post-ups after that. Um, but I do agree. It's like, it's a very good win for the Celtics in the terms of the fact that they shot 31% from three, less than 40% from the field and still found a way to win with their defense. Um, don't ask Joe Missoula after the game um, about the team having a, a, a winning just with their defense or, or a winning on a night with their offense. What He had some sort of, response to b-rob who tried to ask a question like that he's like we're top five in league top five defense top five offense we're a great defensive team and it was just like and he immediately i love it when joe missoula just runs off the, the the celtics current rankings and he's like we're top two and expected top five and normal uh we're a great defensive team and we're gonna win ugly and it was just uh um i don't know i'm I've, i keep on getting more and more entertained by the the joe missoula press uh post-game press conference experience he's he, he, he's a he funny guy it's like he takes personal offense to questions that he believes put down the celtics defense uh and I, in his defense they are rounding into just like they everyone thought they are rounding into an elite defense um they're up to fifth in defensive rating. They are climbing that leaderboard pretty steadily. 
and have been ever since Robert Williams got back. They are first in defensive rebound rate, which is kind of wild considering how small they've played a lot of the time. How much of that is just Jason Tatum being a giant man and being able to grab 19 rebounds? Like he had 17 defensive rebounds last night, and I felt like he made a point of emphasis like, I'm going up and grabbing the hell out of this one, old school Terry Rozier style. Yeah, and Jalen Brown is averaging seven rebounds a game. Um, and then they're able to switch and stay out of rotation and be able to box, box out guys. Marcus Smart is just a box out demon against bigger guys. But for them to play as small as they have and still lead the league right now in defensive rebound rate and have Robert Williams miss most of the season, like that that's a that's a kind of eye-opening stat that I never would have expected coming into this season. Um even last year with Robert Williams playing more games, they were sixteenth in defensive rebound rate. So they've really shored things up in, on that front. And that that was one of uh kind of the focuses that Missoula pointed out earlier this season is that they need a rebound. They've done it better than anybody. Um, so he is right that they, they're going to win ugly, but it, it is it is funny how he gets like almost combative when when faced with the idea that that the Celtics haven't won ugly very often this season. They were literally 0-5 when they shot less than 42% from the field before last night. So, Joe, you you really haven't won that ugly. That was the, <laughs> the ugliest win of the season. <laughs> uh, he's very but, combative initially. Like I feel like he's just constantly in combat mode. He's just a competitive but, motherfucker, is what I think it is. But then after like the press conference is like officially over, you see him go up to like the reporters that he had like a combative exchange with. And then they like he explains what he was trying to say, and then they usually like have a, a like a nice laugh about it. And so it's like it's not his intent to be combative. It's just like the lights are on Joe Missoula, and he's in it. He's gonna fight. He's gonna fight for his team. And then he kind of understands. Oh, maybe I uh, shouldn't have handled it that way. And then has a nice uh, smoothing over with the reporters. Everyone gets a uh, has a nice laugh, and everyone gets to do their job. It's an interesting post game dynamic that I've never really uh, encountered before, but it makes me laugh. Every post game I've uh, I've sat in on, and I've decided to sit in on the post games more and more. Um, now that I uh, had less school over break, but like it's it's entertaining. It's just pure. Enter- I laugh every single Joe Mazzulla post game press conference. And he uh, he's so sarcastic that sometimes you don't know whether he's being sarcastic or not. Like he, just- yeah, you can't tell his by his tone of like whether or not he's messing with the reporter or he's just like being kind of mean and it's it's like hard to decipher (laughs) good times good times with joe mazzullo uh it was also funny when before the game he was asked about like what the reaction would be if they lost the warriors and he's like i'm sure none of you guys will overreact one way or the other (laughs) (laughs) Uh, because if they had lost that game Oh man, the overreaction would have been crazy. Or the reaction, whatever. Maybe it would have been warranted because I do think in some ways the Warriors demons are real. Like they they see the Warriors and just kind of short circuit a little bit. Um but they overcame it. They overcame it. We, we haven't really talked about Malcolm Brogdon. I thought even though he went 5 for 15 and missed some bunnies, I thought he was really important to their win. Like just really important. I felt like felt like we saw playoff Malcolm Brogdon. Um even though he wasn't part of the final series last year obviously, he had a little extra. He had more juice than usual for that one. The block he had of Jordan His block Poole, was if huge. Where where Jordan Poole beat him to the hoop and then he just recovered and blocked it like that was an awesome awesome play he he was really huge on the offensive glass in moments when the Celtics were like teetering and needed plays I just felt Malcolm Brogdon even though he didn't have one of his most efficient games at all was just really important for the Celtics and keeping them steady when when their offense went away, um, just making little plays like the the ones we just mentioned. He played 
36 minutes, which was by far the most he's played all season. I think 32 was his most before that. Um, and and so that, that was just another sign the Celtics treated it more like a playoff game than a, than a regular season game. Malcolm Brogdon with 36 minutes, the guy they've tried to manage all year, a guy they've tried to keep his minutes down all year. But they needed him on the court. And uh, he he's he's important. The, the Warrior series is the reason they went and got him, right? Because they realized they needed um, more options to play small, and and Derek White was zero for six, and obviously he can help you in other ways, but he was having one of those nights where like even open threes were difficult. And Malcolm Brogdon just kind of came in, ran offense, made huge plays. And, like, that's why they got Malcolm Brogdon. For for games like that, when the other team goes small and they have to go small, and and he gives them just another dynamic that they didn't have last season. Yeah, you mentioned the two kind of – he had two offensive rebounds, and they both, like, both led to points. They were just huge moments for the Celtics where they were really struggling – um, and one of the big things that kind of started the Celtics kind of creeping back into this game, um, Marcus Smart uh, did a drive, like spin move on Steph Curry and kicked it back out to Malcolm Brogdon, who hit, hit an open three. He was three from eight from three, but like I feel like all three threes were pretty important, and especially that one to get back in the game. It's a huge luxury for the Celtics to kind of be able to go small and go with him. And as good as Derek White has been, and I have been amazed by Derek White. And actually one of my favorite things is watching Derek White kind of like run around and try and track Steph Curry. Um, we didn't get as much of that. Um, that is a beautiful game. thing. Um, but because it was just like Brogdon felt like they, they felt like the Celtics needed more on the offensive end. And Brogdon just with his shooting and, and playmaking is just a, that much better than White. But it's like such a, a luxury for the Celtics to have was like when they go small, they could go with the offensive minded uh, guard in Brogdon. They could go with a defensive minded guard in white. Um, and yeah, this is exactly why they brought him in for a team. When you're playing a great defense, like the Warriors have to kind of be able to just dip into your bench and like, all right, Malcolm 35 minutes, 36 minutes from you. And it's just kind of fits in seamlessly and, and works out well. Um, that's just like a, a huge thing for, for the Celtics moving forward. Um, yeah, and and they haven't been fully healthy a lot, um, and so this was one of the first times all season they've had everybody available and Robert Williams available to play more than like twenty minutes. So the rotation, I thought, was kind of interesting. Um, just what they did with the bench. Sam Hauser didn't play at all. Basically, I think the first time all season he's been out of the rotation entirely. Uh, Derek White only 17 minutes. Grant Williams, only 13 minutes, which was interesting in itself. Um, but they wanted to either be really big with Horford or Robert and Robert Williams or smaller with, with more guards on the court, which, which is understandable. Like the, the Warriors, it's Steph and it's clay that you've got a guard really. And Jordan Poole, And those are all guards. And as good as Grant Williams is, um, like you, having guards against those guards like you don't need as much the size and physicality when you're the primary threats on the other team are Steph Poole and Clay uh so but but that was it it was it was interesting how the the they handled the bench and then it's just just a sign like when they're fully healthy when they're right guys are just gonna have to be okay with not playing as many minutes not getting as many touches as they want that's even Al Horford like Al Horford played an awesome game he was just a throwback game that was playoff Al and and he and he sat like the first three minutes of overtime because they went small and had Robert Williams on the court Al Al, Al was probably fuming man he was probably <laughs> so mad he had just fucking swatted swatted two shots like two huge swats at the end of the fourth quarter and then Joe Mazzullo was like yo Al Sit on the bench, bro. Robert Williams is going in. He was probably tight. Yeah, but, but then Robert Williams in, and came in and had like a great first two minutes of overtime, and then he got taken out. He was probably fuming. Or they all have bought into the team mentality, and no one was fuming because they were all so locked in on the win 
Um, but I think it's one of the big major advantages of this Celtics roster as right now. It's like matchup dependent. They can go big. They can go small. They have a number of different guys who work in different situations. And so tonight was definitely like not a Grant Williams game, but there are going to be some matchups like when you're playing Giannis or perhaps Jokic where or Durant, Durant and, even Durant, where you had need like more physicality and need a kind of a, a size and you're going to have Grant uh, have those. Uh, more minutes but they have these guys white brogdon williams off the bench who are each capable of coming in and playing high impact minutes uh, and playing upwards of 30 minutes in a game and so it feels like the team's pretty locked in uh and i don't know uh no one's i don't, I, I don't think anyone's currently complaining about minutes but it seems like everyone's kind of uh is more focused on on getting the win and understands that Depending on the matchup, different players are diff- uh, are going to play different minutes. Yeah, for sure, and that's just going to be how how it is. Like unless you're Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, or or probably Marcus Smart, then you're going to have times when you're not on the court when you want to be on the court. Um, we haven't really talked about Smart's game a lot. He threw two extremely dumb passes in, <laughs> in the final seconds of overtime, but I felt like. When the Warriors were starting to take over that game, um, the beginning of the third quarter, like the Celtics didn't really have a lot of energy. It gave up some easy buckets, um, just kind of had a really bad start to the third after Steph ended the first half with his wildness. And and Smart hit a couple of shots that just kept the Celtics within distance. Um, there was one, I think, one four minutes into the third quarter, hit a three when the Warriors were up four, and then Warriors went up nine. They went under a screen on him, and he drilled it, even though it was early in the shot clock. Like Those those were pretty big shots in retrospect uh, to just kind of keep the Celtics close enough that, that they could stage a comeback later because um, the Warriors really were threatening to pull away at that point, and they were totally in control of the game. Yeah, and I thought he had a big bucket to open the overtime. Like he, he's always done a pretty good job of just like getting to the rim or finding good ways to get into the paint. Um, and yes, he had two absolutely the most insanely dumb passes I've seen in a while. I'm pretty convinced he they, threw the second one out of bounds. They, they re- it was like they all were Tony from Blue Chips, <laughs> like like just <laughs> just shaving points, hurt, hurting our guy whatever caller it was that had the uh the bad beat grant yeah just give just yeah. making sure grant loses that uh that underpick yeah they 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 needed the warriors to hit the team over <laughs> but that is that is why you love and trust that is why uh you believe in the Celtics team who is now 34 and 12 we have to go we've been podcasting for a while thank you guys for listening to this podcast thank you guys for subscribing thanks for everyone who joined us uh live in the athletic room uh we'll be back next week to talk about the celtics three game road trip to toronto and florida uh and thanks for listening to this episode of anything else but a boo